Good day, everyone. This is the Ontolog Forum. It's November the 16th, 2006, and today we have the Ontolog mini-series on database and ontologies. This is the second session uh, on mini-series, and uh, we are happy to have Dr. Matthew West from uh, Shell International Petroleum Company with us today. Uh, Dr. West uh, probably doesn't need much introduction because he has been with the, with the Ontolog community for a long time and has made tremendous contributions. But for those who are new with us, uh, Dr. West uh, is started as a chemical engineer and uh, he is now heading uh, the, uh, the standards uh, efforts uh, in information management and data modeling uh, with Shell and with uh, the ISO 15926 uh, working group. And uh, Dr. West is also a visiting professor at Keyworth Institute of the University of Leeds. Uh, so without further ado, uh, Dr. West, the floor is yours. Thank you for that, Peter. So, uh, uh, well, I think everything on this uh, first slide has been covered, so if we move straight to slide two, uh, this is just uh, the abstract for the, for the presentation. Um, uh, an ontology describes the things that exist, the rules that govern them, a data model defines records about things and is the ba basis for database design. So they're not quite the same sorts of things, or, or at least there are some things that are sometimes held in other ontologies that aren't held in data models, if you, if you see those as being ontologies as well. Um, certainly I do. Um, but there are a number of choices that you need to make uh, in uh, a data model about how you represent the things that you might have at a more abstract level in, um, uh, in an ontology. Um, for example, uh, you might not actually hold all of your ontology in the data model itself, but some of it is reference data, or even most of it is reference data. Um, I, what I'm going to be doing is exploring these choices. Um, I'll be using some illustrations from ISO 15926, um, but I'm not going to be coming up with definitive uh, uh, statements on things, because a lot frankly depends on the circumstances um, and what I'll be doing is very much as I said at the beginning looking at the choices and perhaps considering when you might make one choice rather than another so if we move on to slide three okay um, if we look at uh, what you have as an ontology um, you've got at least roughly speaking, you've got rules and classes and objects, where here I mean objects as individuals that exist in space and time. Um, uh, and when you're looking at moving towards data models and databases, you're thinking about enterprise systems. And this means you're looking at business processes, so the sorts of things that get written down in, in, in operating manuals, um, application processes, things that get written down in computer programs, uh, and stored procedures, uh, database structure, and records in the structure. 
and these things are going to be distributed uh, amongst them. So if we move on to slide four, uh, we see that the first choice is fairly easy, that, that objects uh, uh, get mapped into records, and there's, there's not really much you can do about that. Um, there's no way to hold objects as tables, for instance. That just doesn't work. Next slide, slide five. Uh, but when it comes to classes, uh, there are at least two places where they can go. Uh, they can go in the database structure, um, or they can go in the records. Um, and it will normally, it'll, it'll normally depend on uh, the volume of the classes, and in fact whether your interest in those classes is likely to change over time that will determine which of those you choose. Um, if there's a high volume or they're likely to change, you're more likely to put them as records than as database structure because uh, it's just more expensive to make changes to the database structure than it is to add and take away or, or, or delete records. Next slide, slide six. Now rules are um, much more difficult to, uh, uh, to, to define because they can go just about anywhere. Um, you might actually hold them as records in the database using a, a rules meta model. Uh, they might go in, in the structure of the database. Uh, it's a very effective way of enforcing some uh, constraints, but I noticed that the text on this slide has gone missing. Uh, it says that on the arrow to the database structure that it's, it's quite limited which rules you can actually put in the database structure. Um, often you find rules in application processes and stored procedures. This is a uh, quite a good way place to put them because uh, it can be uh, quite flexible um, how you uh, incorporate them here. And of course, ones that you can't put in the system, or if you're buying a bespoke package um, and uh, it doesn't have the rules in it that you need, then you come out to doing things within business processes. Slide seven. Uh, before we move on to this uh, slide, I forgot to mute everyone, so give me a moment. Okay, so here, here we see indeed that uh, it's limited the rules that we can put into the database structure. And then as you come down these, um, down through from business processes to application processes, at least the database structure, you see that it becomes uh, harder, which just means more expensive to make changes to the rules. Uh, but easier to enforce them. So if you've got your rules in the database structure, there's nothing, you know, you don't have to do anything to enforce them. They just are enforced. There's nothing else that you have to do. Um, you'll notice that records are, are not included in this, this go-down because actually uh, putting rules in records, uh, although you need to do some clever stuff to uh, uh, be able to interpret uh, those rules, um, actually it, once you've done that, adding them and, and making changes to them is a relatively easy thing to do. Um, okay, slide seven, uh, slide eight, sorry. Okay. So if that's very broadly uh, what you can do, what I'm now going to look at is at what it is you can actually say in a data model, and more particularly, uh, what things you can't say. So 
So here's an example of a small piece of data model. Uh, the thick lines with lollipops on the end of them are subtype supertype relationships, and the thin lines uh, are uh, uh, ordinary relationships uh, with the uh, uh, the sharp end uh, holding, bit pointing at the entity that holds the relationship, if you like, that owns the relationship. So what we have is we have um, thing with two subtypes, x and class of x, and then I've got two subtypes of x, which are some x and some other x. Um, now, uh, and, and we have a relationship that says that um, an x may be a member of a class of x. Okay. Um, so, if we move on to slide 9, uh, some other things that we probably want to say is that X, some X, and some other X are all members of the class, class of X. Okay, so these are the entity types themselves, are instances of class of X. Um, and uh, I might also want to be able to say, at the instance level, my X, a particular instance of X, is a member of a particular, my class of X, which is a particular instance of class of X. Um, now there's just one problem here, and if we move on to slide 10, you can't do that. Um, there's no way in a data model of saying that an entity type is an instance of another entity type, and nor in the data model itself can you hold um, instances of entity types themselves. So this means that um, uh, you, you're quite clearly making a partition somewhere in your, uh, uh, in your overall ontology between what's being held as entity types and what's being held as instances. If we move on to slide 11. So you might well choose, instead of the uh, earlier ones, and if it was very important to be able to say that one thing was an instance um, of another um, to say something like this um, that uh, uh, we here we have we've lost the subtypes but what we've included is class of X uh, sorry a subtype relationship on class of X that says that one class of X may be a subtype of another class of X so now if we move on to slide 12 so now we have as uh, uh, at the instance level, so at the records, we now have, we, we've now said, well, we'll, we'll put these things, this part of the uh, ontology as records rather than as entity types. Um, so I've got um, an instance of class of X, which is X itself. Um, I've got an instance for some X, and I've got an instance of some other X. And um, I've shown the subtype relationships here uh, graphically between X and some X and X and some other X. Um, and so we're now holding that information um, as instances. And also notice here that we have X both at the instance level and at the entity type level. Um, something we have that a people are talking about. There's a question there? Yes. Uh, yes. Hi, Matthew. It's Dave Hay. Oh, hi, Dave. Yes, I didn't see you were on. How are you doing? Uh, okay. uh, I'm puzzled. Is your box X, does that represent an instance of X, whereas uh, the right is a class? The, uh, on the left, in the yellow box, it's an entity type. On the right, it's an instance of class of X. 
It's a record, which is an instance of class of X. But X is itself a class. Um, well, X when is you say an entity type, that's, that's a class, right? Uh, yeah, indeed, indeed. So X is a class, and being an instance of class of X means that it's a class. It's, it, it's a class that has members that are X's. And in right. fact, all X's, all instances of X, will be a member of X, of course, when X is a class of X. The class of X is what I would call an X type, I suppose. That, that's fine. Yes, that's right. So Which is, means that you take X's and you categorize them into these classes. That's right. And, and then you make a subtype, supertype hierarchy of them. Of the classes, and the thing, okay. And the thing you have at the top of that structure is X itself. The thing, the thing. Yeah, whatever X is. Okay, so if X were... were uh, Products. Uh, party and individual parties, and then Absolutely. this is party types, which is yep. people and organizations and things like that. Yeah, that would okay. be just fine. And okay. So, yeah. Okay. Um, <coughs> so this is one of the choices you could make, and uh, uh, and somewhere you are almost bound to make this choice. Um, certainly, if you're looking at an ontology of any size, um, and uh, for instance in uh, uh, ISO 15926, we, we, we're anticipating 50,000 plus classes at the end of the day. And you're not going to have 50,000 entity types. It's not useful to have that many entity types. And we'll talk a little bit more about wh when it's useful to make something an entity type later. I'm just at the moment looking at what the options are. Okay, so if we move on to slide 13. Now here, uh, you, you'll notice that I said that there was, oh, no, sorry, go back to slide 12. There was, there was something else I needed to say just about this. But we, we've got X twice now um, as an entity type and as an instance. Um, and uh, this, this may have some resonances with some of you. Um, uh, one of the things they're starting to talk about in um, our areas is, is the, the idea of punning. And this is essentially the same, same kind of thing going on. But of course, if we move on to slide 13 now, one of your options is actually not to have uh, the entity type X, but only to have the, uh, uh, only to have the, the instances of class of X. But now you only know that something is an X if you, you only know that it could be a thing, and you only know it's an X if it's explicitly classified by this instance of X. Um, and uh, uh, sometimes that may be what you want to do. Um, it, it may be enough that you know that these things are things, but sometimes you actually do physically want to segregate uh, records about different sorts of things for particular purposes, um, and, and then that means that, that you're more likely to be interested in that as having it as an entity type as well. Okay, slide 14. Well, I thought I'd look at... Um, just a couple of examples about uh, uh, how you might model things, uh, that are, that in particular that aren't from uh, ISO 15926. So here, this is just a, a sort of a scoping model. Um, here, we, so the sort of thing you might produce uh, with, with uh, a business user. So here we're looking at products, and we're saying that products are sold in markets and products are sold under brands. So for example, uh, we might have a product which is uh, um, uh, a lubricating oil, um, and uh, we might 
as, as in fact we do, sell it under a brand name like Helix, um, and we might sell that in a market like the automotive retail market. Um, we might sell it in more than one market, of course, because we might sell it to, try to sell it to automotive manufacturers, and we might even try and sell it to uh, people who are running service, uh, who, who do car servicing. So there are a number of markets that we might uh, might try to sell that into. Um, okay, so if we, <coughs> one of the things this doesn't do for, at, at this level, because it's a simplified model, is take account of change. Um, and if we move on to the next slide, we'll see um, what I would categorise as a, a 3D logical model um, for looking at, uh, at this data. Um, so what you'll notice is we've still got market, if you look at the first subtype of thing, that's the market. We've still got the product, um, uh, that's the second subtype under thing, and we've still got the brand, but now you'll see boxes have appeared between uh, the product and the brand and the product and the market. Um, and these are what was the arrow before. Um, because you can change over time uh, when, when you sell this product into that market, you need start dates and end dates. And relationships, when they're represented by lines, can't have attributes. So if you want to have attributes to your relationships, um, and if they can change over time, and you're doing things in a 3D way, then you need to do that. This is, this is time indexing your, uh, your relationships. Uh, then you need to do that. So those are two, two examples um, of, of that. Um, now, on the previous slide, I, I didn't go on about it particularly, but we had um, some attributes for each of these things. So under market, and we're back on slide 14 for those who are... Uh, th th yes, no, stay with 14, that was fine. Um, uh, for those that are following on their own. Um, we have attributes like name. For market, we have attributes like name and start date and end date. Products has uh, attributes like name and price, price currency, when introduced, when withdrawn. And brand also has a name. Um, now, one of the things you'll see, if we go back to slide 15 now, is that you'll notice that each of those had name as uh, uh, an attribute. Um, and again, one of the things that we know is that names can change over time sometimes. Um, it's quite interesting. One of the uh, uh, standard groups I've been working with for a long time, POSC, Petrotechnical Open Systems Corporation, based in Houston, has just changed its name to Energistics, uh, which is an interesting choice of name, but, but uh, it just makes the point as it, as it happened just in the last few days. Um, so names can change over time, as well as uh, relationships. And you can now also see that the product has a product price. Um, and again, and, and the product price is expressed in terms of a currency. Um, and products also have their dates about when they're introduced and, and withdrawn. Uh, so, of course, because uh, we've said that things can have names, we've now only had to say that once. Um, so because market is a subtype of thing and product is a subtype of thing and brand is a subtype of thing, they all get this ability to have names that change over time automatically. Um, now, I should be careful at this point. Um, uh, uh, this, is, this is a model of how you could look at products being sold under brands in markets. 
It's certainly not the only one, um, and I'm not necessarily recommending it for anything in particular in putting it in this presentation. It's just an illustration. Okay, moving on to slide 16. Um, now here's a very different model for doing just the same thing. This is, this is a physical model, though, and I'm looking at how you could consider um, uh, taking that model and implementing it. Notice that uh, whereas I had, oh, sorry, let's go back to the previous slide, slide 16, slide 15, sorry. Uh, how many boxes are there here? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Back to slide 16. We only have three. What's happened? Um, well, what's happened is that I've done some uh, fairly cavalier denormalization. So if you look at the product T table, uh, it has an ID, it has a version key, it has a name, uh, it has a brand 1 ID, a brand 1 name, a brand 2 ID, and a brand 2 name. You'll recall there was a many-to-many -many relationship between product and brand, and I just arbitrarily decided here that you're never going to need more than two. Um, and then I said that I've got a market, market 1 ID and a, a name, market 2 ID and name, and again, I just decided there's never going to be more than two. And then there's a price and a price currency, a date created, a date last modified, and a date withdrawn. Now, one of the key things that I've done here um, is add a version key, um, because uh, any of these things could, uh, well, a, a number of the, the items on here could change. Um, and uh, what the version key allows me to do is to have a number of different versions that, that so I can track the change, which was something that I could do with the previous model. I could, I could track the change of things which is often very important, particularly in, a, in a, uh, a world that increasingly needs to be compliant to, to uh, legislation like SOX. Um, now, I have made uh, uh, some compromises here in, in restricting the cardinality of some relationships to two rather than allowing them to be anything that they want to, but that was arbitrary. I could have made it three or five or whatever number I thought was unlikely to be exceeded. Of course, I could have some empty space then. I could have some of those attributes just not filled by anything. Um, but that's just part of the, uh, the way that you choose to do these things. You can choose to do these things. Again, I'm not saying this is the way you should do it. Um, I'm just saying that uh, for some purposes, and here we're looking at uh, retrieval of, of data, um, and often you want to get as much data in a record as possible for, for good retrieval. That's often, uh, rather than joining a number of tables together, imagine having to join five or six tables together, as you probably would have done on the pre if you'd implemented directly the previous schema. Um, you could easily see that that wouldn't necessarily run very quickly. Um, but this probably would, although there's a price here, there's a lot of redundant data. Okay, moving on to slide 17 then. Now here's another physical model. This has gone the other way. It's three tables, but actually that's the only thing that's the same in terms of the way that it's done. Whereas the previous one was uh, denormalizing the model, this one is actually genericizing it. So here I have a, uh, a table which is just things. I've got a table which is all the associations. Um, and the, you, you're, what you'll see is that the association um, has a type which tells you uh, 
uh, which would hold the name of the entity type essentially from the uh, uh, slide, uh, the sort of logical data model slide. Um, and then we need to know which table it would go to um, and uh, which object it relates to, which two objects it relates and which tables they're in. So sometimes it might relate to two things, like a product in a market. Sometimes it might relate a thing with a value, like um, uh, a product and a price value. Okay, so that's uh, uh, another way that you can do it. Of course, this model could hold a lot more than just the pricing stuff that we were looking at, uh, looking at there. This could be used for a, a wide range of uh, uh, reference data in particular. And in some cases, that will have advantages um, because it gives you the flexibility uh, to add uh, new data and new types of reference data relatively easily uh, to, to what you have. Okay, moving on to slide 18. Okay, well, uh, thus far I've, I've really been talking about directions you, and choices you could go. Um, I think it's probably worth using ISO 1596 as a concrete example of, of what has been done in a particular case and some of the things that have been done. So uh, here are some particular choices that we made and um, we'll illustrate them, illustrate them later in later slides. So relations are modeled as entity types, not attributes. Um, now. Uh, we did this uh, not because we wanted to put dates on them, because uh, ISO 15926 is a 4D, so uh, all, the, uh, all the time information goes with the object, goes with the states of the object, which is then just very simply related. Um, but for us, it meant that relations could, could uh, participate in relations themselves, um, and that was something that we thought was important. Um, we also made a choice in, in picking the level of what we put as entity types and what we put as reference data. Uh, the real decision we made was that we would put the key entity types um, that gave you the, st the, the basic structure of the 4D paradigm, but we wouldn't put detail uh, in. We'd stop more or less as soon as we thought we could uh, without, it, without leaving people... Um, uh, uh, too much flexibility to do things in lots of different ways. So when you're developing a standard, um, it's actually helpful to constrain people uh, from doing things that, that uh, uh, well, making it too easy for people to do the same thing in different ways. So we tried to do as much as we could to um, uh, point people in, in a single direction uh, as they extended the model with data. Um, but not actually to prevent things that were valid. That was a kind of uh, trade-off we were aiming at. Um, we didn't always hold the subtypes of X when we also had class of X, uh, when they could be held as, as instances of class of X. In fact, usually we didn't, especially when the, uh, the, the numbers of subtypes were large. Um, then explicit models for representations. Um, Rather in, as in the logical data model here, um, we, we built in uh, explicit support for multiple names and descriptions of things. Um, and then finally we had a meta-model, <coughs> excuse me, uh, which was included for extensibility. 
Um, uh, this, this enabled us to add relations and classes um, and, and essentially reflects the open world uh, assumption uh, rather than the closed world assumption that, that, that uh, we took in, ISO, in developing ISO 15926. Moving on to slide 19. Okay, well, um, this is the, uh, the, the root of the ISO 15926 thing, um, and there's a, there's a couple of things that are interesting here, because firstly, this is one of the only places in the, in the model um, where an entity type actually has attributes. Um, in the first place, it has an ID. Uh, the interesting thing here is that we ne nearly gave thing two IDs. Um, and you might think that, that, that one was enough, and in some cases maybe even that's too much. Um, but um, we, we spent some time discussing whether to give it one ID for the thing represented and another ID for the record itself, so making a use-mention distinction. Um, in the end, we decided not to do that. Uh, we decided that if we wanted to do a mention, uh, we, we had almost no need for... Uh, for mention uh, that, that we could see, um, and that if you did want to do that, you would actually make that part of the uh, uh, the nature of the, the definition of the relation that related the record, rather than making having an extra ID, uh, which would be there all the time, of course, whether you used it or not. So that was the choice we made here. But actually, you then see the other attributes that we have here are actually all metadata. So they're all data about the record rather than data about what the record represents. So when was the record created? Who was the record creator? Not the creator of the object the record is about, but the record itself. When was this we copy of the record created? Uh, when, we have if ever, was the record logically deleted? Sorry, was that a question? Yes, uh, another question. Yeah, Dave Hagen. Um, Hi. The distinction between... The instance of the thing and the record about the thing. Yeah. I have trouble with why you did that. Uh, well, I didn't. I, we, I, we I mean, well, right, okay. There are two things. Or why you're talking about them as two different things, because I, I have, I view the, the notion of an entity class as a description of a real thing. Yes, and an instance of it is an instance of the thing. And yes, there's yes. data about it at the metadata level, but, but the, the, I'm getting a little confused right. here. Let's, well, let's, let's, um, Let's look at a uh, uh, good question, by the way. Thanks. Because um, uh, let's look at uh, a real example that we actually have. Um, one of the things that we need to do. Well, let, let's let's just look at these ones here. Um, uh, if I uh, hear about, uh, if, if I'm going to buy a pump um, and the pump gets delivered, I'm going to put a record in my database about that pump. Mm -hmm. um, now, the pump was created three months ago, and so if I put in a, a date, a pump creation date, I put in that date three months ago. But the record is also an object in its own right, and it's something, it's a piece of data that I need to manage. And so I also want to know when that record was created. Okay? Yeah, I accept that you're just, you're, you're mixing the model of the world with the model of this implementation of a, of a database. 
Um, it seems like. Uh, yes, I agree that uh, that's uh, mixing. I don't think is quite right because we're um, what I what I am saying is that we want to be able to include information uh, about the data records themselves within the database if I wish and need to do so rather than yeah. having to have another database that points at this one and says... Well, that's, that, that's fair. That, that's fair. But in, in terms of understanding conceptually what's going on, it seems like there are two things that... that yeah, there are two things there. there you're sort of in danger, let's put it that way. Indeed, and that's why I'm talking about it, in fact. <laughs> okay. That danger out. Fair enough. Point that danger out. Um, uh, and uh, I, in some respects, I think it would have been... Uh, it would have been more explicit if we'd, if we'd gone for the two identifier solutions, uh, mm -hmm. one for the record and one for the object that the record was about. Mm -hmm. um, and what you would have noticed... Uh, that that would have made it worse, actually. So. No, 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 actually that would have made it better because yeah. one of the things that we're expecting is that in many cases um, uh, a, a record about the same object will appear in a number of different databases. And in each database, it would have a different record identifier. That's true. But it would have the same object identifier. Mm, okay. Good point. Yep. So, so, and and you'd be able to, and, and uh, this is part of this, this uh, distributed environment. The uh, ISO one five ninety six is designed to support a distributed environment, and that's where these record copies. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're not assuming that we necessarily have the original in our database. We might have a copy. And when was this copy created? Was it created, um, you know, the original might have been created three months ago, and we only got it yesterday. Um, and then someone's being told off for not having used this information a week ago. And you say, but I didn't have the information. Well, if you don't have, if you can't distinguish between when the original was created in some other database and where your copy was created in your database, you can't defend yourself. Okay, but I, I, I really think that that's, that at the first level, you're wanting to describe the world and what are the objects and how do we identify the objects and so on. And it is a different assignment to describe how we're going to store the information about the world. Uh, yes, it is. And uh, that's why what we have done, and, and this, this, again, this was the, a key choice that we made. Mm -hmm. uh, we considered that the attributes we have here of thing, all of which have record in front of them except for the last one, but it's still actually about the record, um, uh, these are, this, is, this is all that we have in the model, which is data about the data record. Everything okay. else is actually done in the data model. So all the relationships um, about the thing are done in the data yeah, model. Yeah, well, given you're up at the thing level, I suppose there's something to that, so that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, as I said, all I'm pointing out, there's two things I'm trying to point out here. One is there are two sorts of things that you need to worry about. Uh, the, the records themselves and what they represent, and do you have is your relationship between about something to do with records like this data set um, versus this set of pumps, which would be two different things because a data set might be something you want to exchange with another computer system. You didn't want to exchange the pumps with another computer system. So there are times when you want to be able to make uh, the distinct that distinction that now I really am talking about the record. Um, uh, but uh, then the choices we made to be able to make that clear. So we, we ended up going for one ID, and if you want to say something about the data, you have to make it clear in the relation that this is about the record, not about what the record represents. 
Okay, so uh, that's that's the first bit. Uh, moving on to slide 20. Um, now here we have uh, uh, possible individual. You will have seen that as one of the subtypes of thing on the previous slide. Um, and what you'll notice is that there are a number of uh, subtypes here of possible individual. Um, whole life, actual, event, period in time, activity, physical objects, and so on. Um, and really, the, the only thing I really want to do here is draw your attention to the uh, grey box because, uh, and to note that it doesn't have any supertypes. Um, because now when we move on to slide 21, that's arranged individual, you'll notice this is part of arranged individual, and lo and behold, we do have a lot of supertypes. So you'll recall that I went through the example of tearing off the subtypes and making them instances. Um, well, here's where we have done that. Um, and the reason we've done it uh, is that... Uh, <coughs> um, uh, we wanted to uh, keep the model as simple as possible. This was not critical. Having these subtypes in wasn't critical to being... Uh, four-dimensional, those, those were actually the things that were described on the previous page. Uh, making your individuals four-dimensional was very much what this was about, that was about. Um, but this is now just looking at uh, the structure of the classes themselves and how they divide out and the different layers. So if you look at the subtypes on the right-hand side, you will see that generally speaking, things at the lower levels so, for instance, class of subatomic particle, above it you have class of atom, and subatomic particles are what make atoms up. Atoms are what make molecules up. Um, molecules make up crystalline structures and compounds, um, particulate materials, um, and, and so on. So, by and large, not, not always, but mostly going up here, the things that are, that are further up are made out of the things that are lower down. Um, and that... Uh, when you look at class of inanimate physical object over on the left, at the top in particular, uh, since we're mostly interested in engineering artifacts, so you don't see much uh, around organism here. Um, you have uh, another question. Uh, you, you have instances of those being largely intersections of instances of the uh, subtypes on the right. Sorry, there was a question. Uh, yes, uh, could you define individual? As opposed okay. to physical objects? Uh, well, a physical object is an individual. Um, an individual is, uh, I would say, is something that exists in space-time. So you and I are individuals, and so is uh, the computer in mm -hmm. front of me. Well, what's the difference between that and an arranged individual? What is the meaning of arranged individual? Okay. Um, an arranged individual means that uh, uh, its parts stand in particular relations to each other. So, gotcha. Um, okay. uh, it's constructed. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, so these are the kinds yeah, of constructed things. Fine. Structured is fine. Yep. Arranged right. is structured. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, again, so this was the, a particular choice that we made. Our choice was to hold the bulk of the information about these things um, as subtypes of. Uh, as instances, sorry, of, of, of these, rather than as subtypes of arranged individual. And we didn't consider that subtypes of arranged individual, like inanimate physical object and organism, we didn't consider that those were particularly useful 
to, to make explicit in the data model itself. They, as well, would always have been held, would always have to be at the top of, uh, uh, of the instances of the class of X entity types that's shown here. Okay, moving on to slide 22. Um, I just wanted to get a bit of perspective on this, that um, uh, when we're looking at the, uh, the ontology that uh, ISO 15926 is about, uh, just get some sense of scale. Um, the, the data model I can be very precise about, it has 201 classes or entity types in it. Um, uh, and then underneath it, and, and these would be the immediate instances of some of those classes of arranged individuals by and large, um, we have what we would call generic classes. So these are things like pump and valve and car, those sorts of things, things that, that, that are very broad. Um, underneath that, you would have what we call standard classes. So these would be things quite literally like nuts and bolts of different sizes, uh, defined by particular standards. Um, and also, of course, proprietary classes, so things like Ford Mondeos or, uh, or whatever else. Uh, uh, is out there that, that is uh, 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 defined by uh, by company decision essentially uh, in terms of what their products are um, and clearly uh, uh, within within uh, ISO 1596 we're expecting uh, that we will well at the moment we have let's not talk about where it might go because it, it's clearly going to get larger rather than smaller um, we see that we have something like 10,000 of these generic classes, um, and we already have something like some 24,000 of these standard and proprietary classes, uh, which are uh, uh, well have been proposed. They haven't they, they haven't been standardised. The uh, the 10,000 classes have uh, have passed uh, their technical specification ballot and are just in the publication process at the moment. Um, and uh, We're looking here at classes that are uh, aimed at engineering activities and in particular within the process industries but there's plenty that, uh, that we use that everyone else uses as well. So that's just to get the scale. So when we look at ISO 15, part 2, the data model, it's actually a very small part um, but of course a very important part because it sets the tone for everything else. So slide 23. Um, I, uh, I mentioned that we, we picked up this idea of uh, things having uh, names and multiple names. And uh, the way we, uh, we sort that out is by what we call representation. So I, this, is, uh, this is a bit of model that we put in really to stop people asking questions because we didn't think very often we were going to be interested in it. Um, People, when, when if you show people the next slide first, uh, it gets to be a problem. Is that a question? Is that someone no, joining us? Probably oh, someone departing okay, or leaving. Um, so, uh, if you look at representation of things, um, we've got uh, here we're looking at uh, a possible individual, which is a sign, standing for uh, something, which could be a class or an individual. So. And a possible individual means something that exists in space-time. So, for example, a particular piece of paper with some text on it. Um, so, uh, 
this is not what we normally deal with in uh, in computer uh, in computing. Um, although occasionally, for security reasons, you do find that individual copies of certain documents are identified. Um, but it's usually for, because this stuff is top secret. Uh, but if we move on to slide 24, and of course we can handle that because we have that little model. But if we move on to slide 24, you can see the more general case where we have just the text that is on one or more pieces of paper, which is the class of information representation, which still represents the thing. Um, and could be an identification or a definition or a description. Um, you'll notice here the, uh, the other entity types, class of usage of representation and class of responsibility for representation. These are about who uses it in the first case, who calls me Matthew and who calls me Matt, for example, um, and who's responsible for the representation, um, who do you go to if you want to change it, essentially, who, who owns it. Okay, so moving on to slide 25 then. Um, now, if we're going to have uh, uh, classes as instances, um, then we need to be able to do the things with them that we can, we can ordinarily do by having uh, the subtype relationship and the instance of an entity type uh, relationship, being a record of an entity type. Um, and you see the, uh, uh, the two relations that we have here that enable us to do that. So specialization, which, in, which tells us that uh, one class is a subclass of another, and classification, which tells us that a thing is classified by a class. Uh, so that's the first piece of the meta model. Um, uh, but those are just two very particular relations, and if we move on to slide 26, here we have um, a general uh, model of relationships. Um, uh, this is not all of it. Uh, this doesn't show the cardinalities. But um, here we have a class of relationship with signature, um, which uh, we also have just a general class of relationship when you're just saying, oh, these are nice relationships, rather than it actually being uh, a relation between two things. Um, and a class of relationship with signature is between uh, one role and domain and another. Um, and uh, here the role is essentially the name that goes on the relationship line, just, uh, just as down at the bottom here, most of these are actually subclass or superclass. Um, and uh, the, uh, the domain part is actually the equivalent to the entity type. Um, and so what we have is those instances, so the role and domain is those instances of the domain that actually do participate in this class of relationship uh, as either class of N1 or class of N2. And of course, it will be a subtype of the domain at a more general level. Okay, so that's how that works. And so that enables us to add relations as well as classes to, um, to our ontology um, at the data level. Uh, so moving on to slide 27. Okay. Um, I've looked at the, just now at the way that we've... Uh, 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 the choices we've particularly made in, uh, in ISO 1596, and you'll see that it's been a number of, of the choices that I was outlining, sometimes different ones at different times. 
Um, now let's look at uh, how you move from data model to database. And again, just a very light touch on a few things that you need to think about or can think about there. Um, I mean, a first cut uh, database design, you just say each entity type is a table. Um, but you wouldn't make a table unless the entity type had some distinct attributes or there was some, at least some other reason for segregating the record, like volume or access or security requirements, something like that. Um, so moving on to slide 28, let's look at uh, what we have here. So here we have those subtypes of individual. Um, and the thing I want you to notice about them is that none of those subtypes has any attributes. They're really just classifications um, of possible individual. Now, it was useful to have these in the model um, because these are key to making the thing 4D. And so it was important that they, they were stated at this level. Um, but if we're talking about a database, it's not important because um, we can do these things another way. Um, and also, these are overlapping subtypes. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, so uh, uh, an object can be a member of any or, in fact, um, any one or any several of these. Um, and it would not be hard to find something that was uh, a member of, say, five of these. Uh, in particular. So um, what's, what's an efficient way of dealing with that? Well, one of the options would be to wrap these up as classes and just, uh, and just use the, uh, the, the meta model from the previous uh, slide or two. Um, but there's another option as well, and, and because there is, I'll show that one here. So if we look at slide 29, one of the things what we have now, oh, okay, uh, the text gets moved around a bit, but never mind. Um, here we have a table which is possible individuals, and what we have essentially is each of these attributes is essentially a tick box that says, is it a whole life individual? Yes or no? Uh, so these are all Booleans, uh, a little more formally. Is it an actual individual? Is it an arranged individual? Is it an event? And so with just uh, a few attributes, because it's, it's yes, no to each of these, um, uh, you can have uh, is essentially classified your possible individual in all of these ways uh, within one record. And because these are things that you're likely to want to know about something, this, this would very possibly be an efficient and effective way uh, to implement possible individual in a database. Okay, um, slide 30. So here we are with the conclusions. Um, data models are key components for, for getting ontologies used in information systems. Um, one of the things that um, I've, I've noticed is uh, that uh, th there are a number of camps in, in ontologies. There's the, uh, there's the philosophical ontology camp, there's the artificial ontology, artificial intelligence ontology camp, and there's the database stroke data models uh, uh, ontology camp. Um, and uh, Actually, I think that there's, there's a lot to be gained from building bridges between these. Um, and uh, data models are a key component of getting ontologies used in traditional information systems, which is actually where most information and most knowledge actually resides. Um, there's a wide range of options when making design decisions, both in moving from ontology to data model reference and from reference and from data model to database. Um, and 
Uh, which options are best is likely to depend on the particular circumstances of the purposes of an application. And the real thing there is that it's important to think about what you're doing rather than just uh, assume that there's a one-size-fits-all solution to problems. Okay, and that's where I finish. So are there any questions, please? Well, thank you very much, Dr. West, for the very enlightening uh, presentation. I am unmuting all the phones in uh, opening the floor to Q&A and discussion among the participants. Going to the shared uh, screen, I saw that uh, there was one question that Doug uh, Holmes wrote. But before this, I mean, let let me thank Doug for uh, suggesting that we keep this chat session going. We used to only have this when we have sort of uh, a, a panel discussion session where many people questions, but Doug actually suggested that even when we have invited speakers, we should have this because uh, certain questions can be saved and asked after the presentation rather than interrupting the flow, which I think is a fantastic idea. Uh, so Doug's question is, are rules uh, excellent? Uh, yes, uh, um, I, I think they're probably synonyms. Uh, uh, I certainly wasn't trying to mean anything different. A rule I was action? actually just testing the uh, the system when I wrote that down. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so, but, but that did answer the question too. Thank you. Yeah, there was another question just now. Okay. I actually have a, a, a question uh, for Matthew. Um, I, I just we just came back from the the voice conference, and obviously for the purists in the formal ontology uh, community, uh, they probably see some of the uh, way the. Uh, Maybe even, uh, I mean, uh, data modelers represent ontologies as being inadequate, maybe possibly by way of the uh, language being less expressive than they would have wanted to. Uh, would you have a comment on that one? I mean, in well, I think that, I mean, those yes. of us who, who were at Voice uh, probably heard uh, Barry Smith's remark about maybe certain uh, things that are, that he thinks are being less than optimal in terms of uh, maybe ISO 596 being called an ontology. Well, I think that... You've um, gone through that. Yes, I've, I've, I've seen Barry's remarks. Uh, I think mm -hmm. what he demonstrates most is that um, he's in the philosophical uh, ontology camp and has relatively little idea of the uses of data models, what they are, for instance. So he has, he seems to have no concept that uh, uh, the ontology is partly, in fact mostly, held as data and only partly held as, um, as entity types. Uh, 
um, that just didn't seem to cross his mind. Um, as indeed he seems to have um, uh, essentially no knowledge of the formalism itself of data modelling. You know, uh, in, in I think it was the ONTAC uh, discussion, he was suggesting that he'd come up with a new idea of uh, relations between classes. And all the lines that you see in data models are relations between classes and have been around for 30 or 40 years at least and for forever before that in other places. But, um, uh, I think it's, it's dangerous to speak from ignorance and uh, uh, dangerous to take note of it. Now, when you say uh, he sees ontologies held as data, not as entity types? Sorry. What did you uh, mean no, when you no, said... No, sorry. He, has, he, he, he had no understanding that there is a division to be made between what parts of an ontology you hold as entity types and what parts you hold as data. Uh -huh. Because he was making a big play about, oh, look, there is class of X but no X. Well, so what? Why, why should there be? There's no uh -huh. reason why there should be. In a complete ontology of everything, then you would do that. But when you're making a data model, you're making a choice about which parts of the ontology will be held as data and which parts will be held in the data model. This is just something that doesn't seem to have occurred to Barry. So as I say, he speaks out of ignorance, which is unfortunate. During the, the Apology Summit, we, it, you also mentioned that you were uh, planning to work with uh, with with Nicola Nicola Guarino uh, in maybe moving some of the uh, exematizing uh, the one five two six maybe into a, a first order logic uh, representation. Um, I, I yes. think that would be a great thing to do. Well, there's, there's, there's a. I haven't been able to do that work, piece of work with Nicola that, that I'd wanted. Uh, what I'd hoped to be able to do with Nicola was to um, uh, get uh, a version of the ISO 1596 ontology in, in KIF, essentially, but, but I mean, CLIF, common logic, uh, uh, in, in principle, uh, because I think that would be a useful exercise and it would allow, um, it would allow us to do some things uh, that, uh, that, that would be useful in the artificial intelligence uh, arena. Um, but uh, what we have been able to do is to get an owl version of part two, at least. Um, and uh, uh, that, uh, in fact, we have more than one version in owl because there's, there's some discussion about which is the best way to do it. So we're, we're currently in the process of trying um, a number of different approaches that you can take. Rather, as I was describing, that there are options you can take when creating... Well, it's, it, it would be true in any language. There are a number of different options that you can take. Um, I could have talked about doing an ontology in, in Cliff or in Owl, and I could have made many of the same points about how you're going to create your ontology uh, there. Um, I, I was talking today about uh, how you do it you know, your ontology is being something which is um, abstract rather than in a particular syntax. It's what it is you want to say. And here's, here are your choices in, in how you can say that uh, uh, in a data model. Uh, data models are actually um, 
almost the same in terms of their expressivity as, as description logic. Uh, they have almost the same limitations. In fact, uh, quite a few of the participants of the Abbasidity Summit were at voice uh, last week. I'm sorry, I'm having difficulty hearing you, Peter. Yes, I said, uh, quite a few of them from Upper Ontology Summit was, were as voice last week. And uh -huh. uh, there's a general desire to move that work onwards. I mean, in uh, the Upper Ontology uh, and uh, Nicola says he has some, uh, some uh, positions that he would like to raise and we, I'm arranging for him to, scheduling him to maybe make a presentation to to uh, share that idea with everyone. And well, that would he be also did mention about uh, his, the fact that he's going to meet you very soon and I'm looking forward to working with you on on that. Yes, yes. I mean, we, we, we've certainly, um, we certainly agreed to uh, collaborate. Uh, the, the, the issue is whether I can find... Uh, uh, some money to put on the table to to oil the wheels, or, or whether it uh, whether it has to be a bit more arm's length. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, uh, sort of just each putting our own resources in. And I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm expect I'm expecting to be uh, seeing him uh, in December. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. So. Uh, Question for for the uh, for everyone again. Uh, going back to the uh, presentation, or maybe any uh, relevant question regarding the database and ontology. Uh, I I have a request. Of work. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, this is Carl Carl Mattox. Um, I, I'd just be interested to hear more, Matthew, on your thoughts between your typing of ontologists especially how one migrates, if you will, from the database or data management world to the AI world. What, what kind of characteristics or properties would those people have? Oh, I don't think they necessarily have very different properties. They've just started in different places. Right. Um, I, I think that uh, to, to do any of data modeling, artificial intelligence, or philosophical ontologies, um, you need to have a deep interest in, in the nature of uh, the world we live in, um, and how it and how how it actually all works. Um, so those are the basic characteristics that, that you need to have. Um, you know, sort of a driving curiosity and a preparedness to make mistakes um, and, and to learn from them, hopefully. Um, and a deep interest in this. In this L I S T S. This. Well. Um, Yes, maybe. Yes, I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, you, you get you, you certainly get enough of those. That's for sure. <laughs> right. Uh, um, but I, but I think that uh, one of the things that I see is is um, uh, that, that different people have different blinkers, if you like. So um, if if I come back to Barry's criticism of ISO one five nine two six. Uh, most of his criticisms were actually about uh, the informal bit, so the names that we've chosen for things, uh -huh. and the quality of the English of some of the definitions. Um, uh, and, you know, from a computer science point of view, the name's just a string. It doesn't matter what it is. 
Um, actually, he didn't criticise any of the formal part of the, the model. Uh, he didn't criticise the subtype supertype hierarchy anywhere, apart from saying that some things were missing that, that we, we would put in reference later. Um, that was his, you know, so he, he actually didn't make any comments that would change the formal structure. So he made no comments against any of our axioms, if you want to put it like that. So uh. it, it, anyone from, uh, for, uh, from an artificial intelligence background, when they see criticisms that aren't about the axioms, they shrug their shoulders and say, what's he talking about? What's he making that fuss about? And, uh, uh, and that's something which data models would share with artificial intelligence people. But the philosophers would, would look at the whole thing <laughs> and look, look at it from... Um, uh, As a data modeler, I'll, I'll take exception to that, but okay. Well, uh, I, I'm, really, I'm really comparing this to the, the, the philosophical end of things, uh -huh. um, where uh, actually um, when they do their ontology, they are actually writing an essay. So uh, they, uh -huh. they see the, the words and the names of things as having more significance well, than you do... Well, isn't the whole point of an ontology to address semantics, and isn't therefore the words and the names you use important? Ah, well, yes, I would say yes and no. In, in, a, in a practical sense, um, in a communication sense, that things have names um, is important, and that you can give things names that communicate is useful. Uh, but it actually doesn't change um, how... Uh, how the thing works. So there's, there's, it's not formally, it makes no difference to what it means. Informally, it does. And, and so it, 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 matters at, it matters at a different level. And it's about what are, you going to, what are you more concerned about. When you come down to table names, the only people that see those are programmers. Why do you, you know, and often you're restricted, well, in the old days at least, you, you could easily find yourself restricted to eight characters. It really didn't give you much scope. So, uh, you know, where, where your interest lies in, in, in those things varies depending on where on the scale you sit. An addendum to, to that uh, question, and to that question, uh, I mean, the, the, the purpose of the ontology is to, to, to properly express them in names. I mean, maybe we besides names, we should also be addressing, uh, putting these things into logic so that they become Well, I, that, that was the point I was making, was that, uh, yeah. you know, again, various criticisms weren't about the formal parts of the model. They were about the informal parts. And I, it's not that I think that the informal parts are unimportant. They're just at a different level when you're looking at IT systems rather than, uh, rather than something else. Um, and, and indeed, our approach is that you can have as many names as you like, um, and so that you can, you can, uh, you know, at the data level, we allow things to have as many names as they like, um, and distinguish who it is that uses which names for what. Okay. So, uh, is, is, is there any other question? If not, let's think. <coughs> Uh, Dr. West for a very enlightening lecture in uh, helpful discussions. Uh, well, thank you, Matthew. The Since this session is recorded, I will be posting the uh, audio archives later today. Thank you. Bye.
Uh, Peter? Hi. Yes. Um, would now be convenient for that phone call. Back into the recording. Okay, go ahead. Yes, my, my question had to do, I was concerned with his assertion that as long as the underlying logic is correct, it doesn't really matter what language you use. Yes, and, and, and the reason for saying that is that, that, that the underlying logic is uh, processed by a computer rather than by people. Now, but, I agree with you completely that in validating it, you, it needs to be explained to people um, so that they, in terms so that they can do so. Mm -hmm. and, and, but that's the reason for thinking about the names. Mm -hmm. Not, uh, but, uh, but in principle, the names are arbitrary. Only in principle. In practice, you pick ones that are useful. And actually, okay. th th there are even more pragmatic reasons for, for using words as part of the labels. Because it's, you know, if you think about a 10-digit ten, ten string, 10-character mm -hmm. string, um, if it's not words, you've got a good chance of mistyping it. <laughs> There's that too. Okay, and if you, and if, whereas if it's constructed with words, First of all, you're less likely to mistype it, and secondly, if you do, it's easy to spot the error. Mm -hmm. right. So there, there are some very pra pragmatic reasons for doing that, but they're not the... Um, uh, uh, but whether you've... Uh, and you should probably go and read Barry's... Uh, oh, I have. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and if you... Uh, if, I mean, if you followed the rules that he suggests, you would actually end up with very unwieldy names, because he's, he, he's looking to require that names are very regular in their structure um, and, and that you can't have, you know... A role you know I, I, I sympathize with his concern because I have the same problem understanding the models. Yep. Uh, yep. I will concede that his is not necessarily the right solution either. Well, indeed. And, I, and, and by the way, I mean, um, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily happy with all the names that we've got and that they're the best names that they could be or with the definitions. Um, that there are certainly definitions that could be improved. Not, yeah. not an issue with that. It's just that it's not the. If, if I look at. If I implemented ISO 15926 in a system today and I made the changes that uh, Barry was asking for, I wouldn't have to make any changes in my system. Okay, because his, his questions were all. His concerns were all, uh, all aesthetic or linguistic. All aesthetic. That's yeah. Right. And it's not that those aren't relevant concerns, but they're the kinds of concerns you have when you come from the philosophical end of things. <laughs> that's me. Okay. Yeah, no, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. It's not wrong. And, as I said, and, and in fact, one of the things that I think we really need to do is to uh, bring, these, bring these different strands together because um, each of them has something to add to the party. Well, it's it's you're you're sitting there with a standard with a nominal standard, but if if the public or even your own public doesn't really understand it, then you're going to have a hard time enforcing it or or spreading it. In, indeed, and, and um, I I agree that that's the case, and uh, working at uh, improving that is something we'll do. And and of course, one of the realities is that understanding the thing ourselves and what it is that we've done is actually part of what we're all doing. Mm -hmm, sure. Um, you know, it's a learning experience as much as anything else. So we've got a stake in the sand. We've got a stake in the sand now, and mm -hmm. the question is, what's the next stage? You know, how can we improve it to the next level? All right. I'd be we'll, happy to we'll help. Be looking, we will be looking at. We're, we're looking at producing an edition two um, in the next couple of years. It takes it right. takes a while, but mm -hmm. to do it. Um, but we will be looking at that. 
so uh, of course, if we change the names, that does mean you have to change the code. Yes, that would that was that. Well, that's that's also true. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that, that's a disincentive for changing those unless you need to. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I find is that people cotton on to, to names, whatever you pick. Uh, if once people start using something, they cotton on to the names. You, you try the names that SAP calls things. I hear people using those names every day, and, and I go, ugh, why did you do that? Why did you call it that? That's not what it really is. Mm -hmm. So, but, but people pick up people pick up on the terminology that that's with use with, mm -hmm. with need. Okay, does that uh, nice to talk to you? <laughs>